Throughout my adult life, my focus has been on making the world a more beautiful place. Initially, I pursued this goal as a hairstylist, working on the external appearance of individuals to make them feel more beautiful. However, I wanted more, so I began to shift my focus to helping people make better choices and achieve greater beauty from within. As a transformational life coach, I specialize in helping you identify and change the limiting beliefs that may be holding you back. Join me each week as we discuss, interview, teach, and explore the fundamental principles of healthy relationships. Welcome to Conscious Conversations with Louisa. In today's episode of Conscious Conversations with Louisa, I'm speaking with Crystal Lindsay. Hello, everyone. I am Louisa Yovanovich, and I get the honor and pleasure of introducing you to Crystal Lindsay. I absolutely fell in love with her the second I met her and knew I loved her before I knew anything about her. Crystal, I don't even think I could do it justice going through your bio. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself and give the eight family's laundry list of your extraordinary list, because it is so long and so extraordinary. I'm blown away. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because there's so many bios we have, right? I have the, you know, the bio to get a job. I have the bio as an author. I have the bio as a, as an individual, but I'll, I'll give the nutshell of it. And then if you want to ask further and we'll kind of probe down, you know, my life was really started when I was born to a mother who didn't love me. And through that experience, I was then abandoned into the foster care system at 11 years old and disowned from my family. From that experience, I figured out how to put myself through college, and I got a double bachelor's, double master's, graduate certificate, started and stopped the PhD, and went on to write a book. And now I'm currently in digital marketing, running digital marketing for a local newspaper and launching their Dallas division. So it's it's been an, an interesting ride, and and I I'm, I call myself the grateful marketer. I'm just very grateful to be here today. I am grateful to having you here today. I have to say, a sentence you said before you were teaching a class a few weeks ago was, "I thank God for my brain functioning the way it does," and that hit home for me because I realize how you show up and the intentional way of your being was so powerful, and you said it. And, and I, as we were talking earlier, is the mini hacks. So I love going back to the beginning of life where you're hearing conversations that your mom is saying, you're not making it up because, you know, sometimes we're like, oh, you misunderstood that you clearly got what you're, what we were raised with. What was it that you were hearing and how did that impact your life? You know, it's a, a great question. And I'm able to be part of that David and Goliath series in the very first chapters on mindset. And so I just wrote a chapter on this in that book. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because the first thing I remember is that I was an outsider. So even before words can explain it, I just knew my mother would braid my sister's hair and not mine. She would hold and cuddle her and not me. And I never remember my mother once holding me, loving me, saying she loved me, giving me a hug, anything like that. But she did do that with my older sister. And so that was really the environment that I was raised in. This is a, you know, I'm a product of the welfare system back when they had government cheese, like real government cheese and food stamps, like the papers, you know. And, you know, I was the third of three children from three different men. 
And apparently my ultrasound misread me as a boy. And so my mother would tell me on a regular basis that if she knew I was a girl, she would have aborted me. And she said that with vindiction, like she meant it. And I, there was no doubt of me that knew that somehow I didn't even know what the word ultrasound, but I just knew I got saved because they thought I was a boy. And so I was a big tomboy. You can imagine growing up as a result of that. The other thing I heard my, my mother say to me, you know, was, what do you think you are special? You're not anything and you're never going to be anything. And I remember one perfect example of that was um, when we had a reading log for school in the fifth grade. And I was always at the top of the class. I did really well in school. After surviving, getting put in special ed, might I add, the first year. But, you know, I was always a, a good student and I read the books and I did everything. And my mother refused to re sign my reading log because she said, I want you to know what it feels like to get an F. And she would tell me all the time, there's going to be people who are prettier, faster, and smarter than you, and that you're not anything, and you'll never be anything in this world. And she was a very mean person to me. And I just remember as a kid thinking, well, that's good news. Then I don't have to define myself on being pretty, fast, smart, tall. Like then I, that, you know, the pressure's off. Like what else can I do that's going to be exciting, you know? So I began to be funny and silly. You know, the other thing I remember as a child is people would say, you know, Crystal, when you get older, you're going to make some man so happy because you have bursting hips. And I just remember turning around at like six. Who says that to children? I remember this. And I remember for like six, seven, eight, turning around and being like, nah, when I get older, I'm going to make a man happy because I'm funny. First of all, I'm funny. Second of all, I'm smart. Third of all, and I just fire off at him, you know? So I was a, a handful as a child. I finally grew into my personality, apparently. But yeah, just a lot of negativity put on me saying that I wouldn't be special and they wish I wasn't alive. So there's two ways that humans handle that, right? Some people go, oh my God, and really internalize it and go, wow, this, I'm really not meant to be here and how sad. But your brain went, nope, absolutely not. This is it. And that's what I see as, you know, when I was getting divorced, I remember rem needing to remember who I was as a child and how successful I was in my ways of being. I actually failed school like quite a few times, but I knew I was successful emotionally. So it sounds like you had that ability too to hear something negative and shift instantly. It's not that it didn't affect you. It's not that you didn't hear. It's not that you, it didn't impact you, but you were able to reframe instantly. Mm -hmm. I, I used to think it was funny. You know, I just made... I was a random child. I mean, I, I've been six foot since I was 12. So I was just this big, awkward child with gaps in my teeth and a speech impediment. I was pigeon toed. You couldn't shut me up. People would pay me to shut up. Now they pay me to speak, which is even <laughs> talk about healing all those wounds, you know? And so, but yeah, I was just this awkward child. And I just remember as people would say stuff to me and I just laugh at them. And I just, you know, now, you know, whether you want to call it God, spirit, you know, Christ, whatever you want to say, you know, but I, I really believe that was God in my life protecting me. And so I don't know where I got these ideas from, but when I was a child, I remember my older sister, she's two and a half years older and, you know, pray for her. You know, she's lived a very hard life and um, struggled with drugs and I'm currently homeless, you know, lost in the streets, you know? And so I've seen her go the opposite way. But anyways, when we were kids, I remember she'd say, you know, when I get older, I'm going to marry a rich man and sit on my butt my whole life. And I'd look at her, I'd go, yeah, when I get older, I'm going to make a lot of money. And the only thing I'm ever going to buy you is an education. You know, what's fascinating is that 
Is she, is she the sister that your mom held and, and nurtured and gave the attention to? And it you're the one. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Cause you always think like, if I were to love up my children more, give them more of what they, you think that they need, then they're going to be great. But you didn't have that. And she did. And look at the difference in results. hundred percent. And that's what the chapter is about is how being an outsider and being rejected was in fact, the greatest gift I could have received. You know, now I didn't know my father, my, I'm actually a bastard on my birth certificate. I take great pride in that for some reason, asterisks, 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 you know, but they, they later, when I went into foster care, found my father and, and, and through this experience, we now have an incredible relationship. He's now an incredible man of God. He tells his testimony of being a heroin addict and a biker and all of this. But, you know, he told me one day, he said, Crystal, you know, I still cry when I think about what I did to you. And what he did to me was abandon me. He didn't do any, you know, there wasn't any abuse like that. But he said, you know, I still cry when I think about what I did to you. And I said, Dad, the best thing you could have ever did was leave me. And he thought I was trying to be snarky. And you could tell he's really hurt. And I told him and I said, no, Dad, I'm, I mean that. Like, I now have a purpose on my life and know who I am in this world. I know how to make a decision. I know what I want. I know who I want to help. I'm passionate about helping the foster care community. Like I have such drive and determination. You know, I wouldn't change a thing that happened to me. And so it's it's really shifting that mindset and believing in a, and it's because of a promise I made myself at two pivotal points in my childhood that I talk about in that chapter two things. And I realized I'm always going to be okay. And I'm always going to take care of myself. And I believed that. And so for the rest of my life, that was my guiding compass. Yeah. I, I would love to hear what that is with the two things. Cause I do believe we had huge pivotal points in our life and we make clear decisions. And most of our life is coming from those clear choices. And sometimes they benefit us. Sometimes they don't. I'd love to hear what yours was and when. Yeah. You know, the thing is, Tony Robbins, big fan, you know, talks a lot about thresholds, right? And he says, you get to these thresholds where you say, never again will I, or I will always, you know, and it's so true. And so for me, you know, as a child, like I said, I was born into this environment. I didn't understand why I was rejected, but I knew very clearly that I was rejected. I was treated like the dog of the family, you know? And one day my mom picks me up from wherever she was, I was after school and she was, you know, driving sporadically and crying and sobbing. And it was very dangerous. It was very scary being in the car that day. And, you know, my sister's in the front seat as always, and I'm in the back seat. And she finally pulls the car over and she whips her head around and she looks at me and she just unleashes this on me. And she says, your dad is not your dad. Your sister's not your sister. Your auntie's not your auntie. Your dad doesn't give a about you. And that's because you're, and you're not, and just, and all this. And I was like, Okay. And so I remember like going back to, I I was nine, you know, I remember going back to my bunk bed when we got to the house and laying down and trying to sort this all out, you know? And I was like, this is great news. You know, I am so excited. I remember this, you know? And so, you know, I guess now I've learned a little bit about child psychology. You actually create like fantasy stories to define your life and make sense and rationalize it's normal. But in the moment, all I knew was I said, well, my dad, must have, he must be really powerful because he's the reason why I've been over to override the genes that would, I would have turned out like them, but because I'm so different and they think I'm, they don't think I'm special. That's because my dad's an alien. He must be from outer space and he's going to come back and save me. 
And so I just knew in all of my heart that my dad was an alien. Now, needless to say, he's not an alien, spoiler alert, you know, and he didn't come back to get me. But the the second thing that happened to me, you know, was extreme abuse, right? My my sister runs away. My How old are you during this time? I'm I'm 11, 11. Okay. And my sister runs away and I'm left the abuse gets very bad. And I let somebody trim my bangs. And, you know, apparently my mom's the only one who was allowed to cut my hair. And so she unleashed herself on me and she attacked me. She ripped my shirt off of me. She beat me. I was bleeding. She attacked me with an ice pick handle. I was sure I was dying that day. And I did punch her. I did hit her once, first time in my life. And uh, we were eye to eye because I was a big kid and she was like four, 11 and a half. And so I, she fell back and I just knew, I saw that look on her face. She was, she was going to kill me. And so I took off running and I had no shoes on, no shirt, no socks, no bra. I mean, I was just like shorts running down the street as 11 years old, screaming. Her boyfriend's name was Tom. Tom's going to get me. Tom's going to get me. So all this goes and I go get put into foster care and I'm in the shelter. And one day the the shelter people come out to, to talk to me and they, you know, trying to have a powwow and tell me stuff, but they were, they couldn't get out what they were trying to say. And so I was like, come on, I'm a big kid. You could tell me, come on, just tell me. And one finally blurts out, your mom left and we don't know where she went. And I was like, what do you mean my mom left? This is where she is. So I made him take me to the apartment and she cleaned out the whole apartment. She took everything I own, my clothes, my book, my bike, everything. And I just remember looking in that apartment and there wasn't a st- like a piece of trash. It was just completely empty. And so I remember going back to my bunk bed yet again and laying on that bunk bed and deciding this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. You know, me and me are always going to be okay. And I'm going to take very good care of myself. And I'm going to turn this into the best thing in my entire life. And I'm going to prove them wrong, you know? And so because I decided in those two instances that could have broke me down, I shifted my mindset to believe that this was something positive. It became a pivotal catalyst in my life and became the most positive thing that could have happened to me. So extraordinary. So extraordinary. I, I just wonder how we teach that to children. And for example, we, I was in Big Sur with my children and my parents raised me with, you know, like if there were, if there was, if I was able to be raised in a padded room, they would have, because they just wanted to make sure I was a hundred percent safe. But my kids are rebellious and exciting and, and fun. And they want to do everything that I'm petrified in doing. Yeah. So I'm seeing my daughter across the ravine and I'm like, don't do that. Cause I'm literally thinking I can't be responsible. If she, I, I don't want to take the risk of anything happening to her. She's looking dead in my eyes and crossing the ravine. And this other part of me is like, I love you, girl. I'm so proud of you. I am so proud that you were such a badass mm-hmm. that you are looking dead in my eyes, knowing I'm like, don't do it. And she's like, I'm on the other side, mom. And I was so excited because there are some children like you who I, I, I asked my daughter, what are you grateful for? And you know what her answer is? <laughs> Self. I'm grateful for myself. And I know that she has superpowers and some children are raised with and, and just have natural instincts to be extraordinary. And I see that in you. Mm-hmm. How would someone cultivate that if they're the kind who would sit there and go, poor me, look what happened to me? Because it's 
kind of inevitable that you're as extraordinary as you are with that mindset. And but with that being your mindset, what did you do when things weren't working as easily? And what kind of mini shifts do you do put into your life? I call them hacks. And I think you call them hacks too. Like what kind of hacks do you implement in your daily life to have you show up powerfully and responsible and successful? Because you have accomplished the moon, the stars, and the planet. Thank you. Well, let's let's talk about the first piece. You know, you can imagine, you know, like I shared my sister. I I there, but by the grace of God go I. You know what I mean? And so I I have a very visceral remembrance of my life, you know, my multi-generational welfare, you know, multiple children, you know, abuse, poverty. My mother's abuse was 10 times worse than I went through. I mean. And so I, I think about this and it's like, well, how did some people come out of this stronger and some people don't? And so I study resilience. They say that the pivotal point of when somebody turns an experience into a positive or a negative is based on if they feel that they're so different that they'll never be understood. Now, I think back to me and I'm like, how does that apply to me? And so I, I grapple with this a little bit because for me, it wasn't an issue of being understood. But the research says that as soon as you say, like, if you've been raped, molested, divorced, abused, abandoned, whatever those terrible things are that happen in life, God forbid, when those things happen, if you say, I'm so different, nobody could ever understand me. That's the, the precipice of turning that into the negative experience. But instead, if you're able to realize that you're not alone, and there's lots of people who are experiencing what you went through, whether you find that community or not, we hope you do but you realize that you're part of a larger experience and that you're going to grow from this and be stronger from this and that other people have been able to grow from this. That's when you begin that shift in resilience. That's what the studies show. You know, the, the second thing you talk about is, you know, how, how do you actually teach this? You know, because it's up to me. I feel I shared with you right before we got on the call, I almost died in 2017 and I had no blood pressure, no pulse. 21 failed IV attempts. They had to shake me by my ankles to get my blood going. I had eight blood transfusions. And so through this experience, I literally was unconscious. And when I came out, I literally heard an audible voice in my head. And it said a hundred times a day for at least 30 days, you cannot die with your song unsung. You cannot die with your song unsung. And up until that point, my family told me I make people feel awkward when I talk about what I went through and I talk about foster care. So I need to shut up. And I was trying to date affluent men and, you know, become a young woman and it wasn't helping, <laughs> needless to say. So I shut up. But when I almost died and that mantra came to my head, that's when I started spending 20 minutes a day writing grit and gratitude, the former foster use playbook for adulting. Now, what, how does that come back to, you know, what do I recommend and how do I cultivate it? Well, my whole life, people would say, how did you do it? How, you know, studies show that 60% of foster youth between 18 to 24, excuse me, 50% become homeless. 60% of women between 18 to 24 become, uh, they usually have children and become dependent on welfare. 60% of men coming out of the foster care system get incarcerated. So they become dependent on the welfare and criminal justice system. 60% by 24 
And so when you look at those statistics, less than barely 54% graduate high school, 3% attend first year college, let alone under 1% actually graduate and get a bachelor's, let alone double bachelor's, double master's, graduate certificate, you know? So how did you do it was always the question. And I would say, I don't know, I worked hard. I don't know. I, I worked hard, but that's when I, I cannot die with my song unsung. I began to answer that question and sit with it every day. How did I actually do this? Because we need to tell the world how they can do it because I cannot die until my song is sung. Apparently, you know, so, so anyway, so that's what the book's about. And it's about the top 10 biohacks that put you in a peak state. And so I believe, and I, with every bit of my heart, I know that you can wake up every single day and have daily rituals that put you in a peak state. You and know, what are real? Yeah, well, and and you know, we talked a little bit about the brain science that shows that actual child abuse. There's a, a a score called ACE, adverse childhood experience. And if you answer yes to six out of ten of these questions, I want the world to hear this loud and clear. If you answer yes to six out of ten questions, you are on track to die twenty years younger. Now, I hope that woke somebody up because there is real science behind that. Look it up. And Nadine Burke, the Surgeon General of California, worked with the CDC in a landmark study in Hunter's Point and started putting this together. You are on track to die 20 years younger, heart disease, liver disease, brain cancer, tumors, you name it, cardiac arrest. And look, you're like, Crystal, I brought you on here to tell some good news. Look, I want to tell you the good news about how I put myself in a peak state, but I want the world to wake up and understand that what I'm about to share does put me in a peak state and I feel better and energetic and have clarity because of it. But honestly, I do it because I'm fighting for my life. Like I'm training for the Olympics every day for the rest of my life. I'm going to do the following things because it is not an option to not do it. I am committed to living a long, healthy life for my entire life. And therefore, as you are a product of child abuse, trauma, serious head injuries, you need to listen to the fact that what I'm about to share will put rewire your brain to the point where you can regenerate nerve cells, restructure how your brain works, put yourself into a peak state that allow you to earn more and live longer and have greater satisfaction in relationships. All right. So we ready for the good news? Okay, here we go. I'm going to walk you through my morning routine. So yes. the first thing I do when I wake up is I listen to affirmations that I recorded onto a, 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 a voice memo on my phone. I put it onto a speaker here. And I blast it into my head to override my mother's negative thoughts that she put into my head. It's about 20 minutes long. And I feel the emotions of how happy I am in my new life that rewires it. So affirmations is one of the key biohacks. The second thing I do when I go downstairs is I actually draw a doodle on my notepad. And I, if you follow me on social, I do time-lapse on it. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's fun. And so but the, the only rule is you can't erase. So I make a doodle and then this was today's and I, you sketch it out. Now, why is that important? One of my top 10 biohacks is be creative or get in nature. Some people aren't creative. I get that. Then go sit in nature. Okay. Do creativity in nature. I don't care, but getting t- taking time to work that creative part of your brain, the right side of your brain is a key part of helping you rewire your brain. The next thing I do immediately following that is I lay down for a 30-minute meditation. During that 30-minute meditation, I clear my brain. I personally practice transcendental meditation. Now, it doesn't matter what type. Just go to guided meditation on YouTube. Five minutes, even 60 seconds changes your brain structure. The next thing immediately following that is I do 100 burpees. 
Now, anybody know what a burpee is? Oh, I rolled up my mat. But usually I have my mat right here. So I literally drop down and you go into plank and then you jump up and then you go down to a push-up and you go up and down. Now, why do I do a hundred burpees every single day? Because exercise is the fastest way to wash the stress hormones out of your brain and put yourself in a peak state. So, and then I journal, I write out my goals every day and I'm intentionally grateful. So I'm a little bit excessive. I also do a second meditation and a sunset walk in the evening. And then I listen to my affirmations twice more. I have a glass of wine. I take an Epsom salt bath and I go to bed. But now this is, and, and so when you see this enthusiasm and I shine bright, I tell you one thing, it is genuine. But the second thing I want you to know is I have to work at it every single day and I fall apart if I don't. So I offer to you, if you're out there and you're struggling, and this is my message that I want the world to hear. If you're overwhelmed, burnt out, angered, disappointed, jealous, envious, whatever it is, brokenhearted, I don't care. If you're in a negative emotion, that is a physical problem with your brain and you need a physical solution. Stop trying to talk your way out of it. Do talk therapy. I do counseling. I'm not saying anything about talk counseling. But stop thinking that's going to snap you out of it or watch a funny video or talk to a friend. Sure, those things are good. But what you need to do is drop down and do some push-ups or go for a walk or watch some funny cat videos and experience laughter, which is a physical emotion, right? You have to do something physical. Draw a picture. I don't care. Journal it out. Something physical to get it out of you because you're having a physical problem, which needs a physical, biological solution. And so for me... I do push-ups and burpees. I love it. And here's my favorite part is, is like, if you ask any extraordinary person who's successful, this is always their answer. So the mm -hmm. fact that we walk around going, I don't know, fascinates me. Mm -hmm. I literally, I, I'm fascinated with every, every remarkable person has this as part of their daily routine. And yet the world walks around going, I don't feel well. And they're sitting on the couch watching Netflix, wondering what's wrong with them. You, you know, and I want to, I want to put a plug in here. Okay. I, I don't have any kids. Okay. So and my birthday's this weekend, but thank you. So I'm in an accountability program and they, I, I'm a little bit of an overachiever, even for them. And they say to me, <laughs> I know. And they're like, Crystal, that's because you're single and you don't have any kids. You're able to do that. And I like to correct them. There's a lot of single people without kids sitting around watching Netflix, eating bonbons, and wondering why their life is falling apart. So I have two children. I'm single. I live in California. My ex-husband lives in Florida. And I've got two jobs, and I do everything you said. Exactly. Every single one, other than I don't take baths because I... Okay, so my attention span, as you guys see, I shift, I move around a lot. My sitting still does not work very well. So I can't take baths because I can't, like, I, I can't be in one spot too long. And so that's the only thing I don't do. Everything else I love. Mm -hmm. You know, and and this is what I want, you know, so, so for you, you said, you know, what was it that helped you turn into a positive? And I brought up the resilience study. But for me as a child, the thing that pushed me was that I truly believed, like, in my core, since I was born, and I don't know where this came from, but in my core, I knew I was 
destined for greatness. That's what I would tell anybody who would listen. Now, I didn't even know what that meant. Okay. I, where do I got these words? I've been asking God, I was like, God, can you just let me know where I got that? Because I'm really curious where a four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old gets the words destined for greatness when you live right. in poverty. That's not common terminology. So anyways, but I knew I had this compelling vision that pulled me forward. So if somebody's sitting around and they say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm upset, irritable, burnt out, brokenhearted, don't know what to do, you know, have a terrible life. Let me count the ways. The first thing I would say to you is do some push-ups. The second thing I would say to you is get a clear vision, figure out what it is. My girlfriend just yesterday called me up and she was hurting so bad. And I, I listened and listened and listened and active listened and, you know, you know, went through the process with her about an hour and a half even. And at the end I said, you know, but what I'm not hearing is what do you want your life to look like? And she was like, well, I mean, a flat tone, you know, I, I have those things. I just haven't wrote them down. I said, look, that's your biggest area of opportunity right now. By the end of it, we shifted and she was her bright, shiny, shiny self because she figured out what she wanted. She, you know, she's going to build her business and she wants this you know, relationship and how she's going to do it. And so if you're, you're, you're sitting around watching Netflix because you don't feel like doing it, walking even around the block, come on, you know, is because you don't have a compelling vision on why you need to walk around the block. Once you have a compelling vision, you will make the time. Like you said, two kids, single mom, working, you know, two jobs, and you make the time because you have a compelling vision. So what's your reason for doing it every day? I have the same part. I just, I, I have the same, I'm here for greatness too. I, I remember listening to Eckhart Tolle. He was asking Oprah, what do you like to do? She says, I like to learn. I like to teach. My brain popped in with me too, instantly. And, and then the other part of me said, who do you think you are? I was like, oh. and it was such a hard conversation in that moment. I was like, who do I think I am? Like, this is Oprah. She gets to say that I don't. And it took me a few days to process that and really step into that. And then also I love collecting evidence. And so people say to me, oh, this really, you said this and it really helps me. You said this, and I really would love for you to share this more. I wish you would share publicly more. And, and so I kept hearing it and I kept seeing that, Everywhere I went, I brought myself along and everybody was inspired by what I was doing. So I just was like, I think there's something here. So I was just, at, in, for so many years, I was collecting evidence to what was wrong with me. If somebody said someone was something was great about me, I would tell them all the things that were wrong with me. And then one day I realized there's a lot of evidence to what's right with me. And I stepped into that and that became more powerful than my limiting, I'm not okay. And I'm something's wrong with me. And, but I knew inside my heart, there was some greatness that I was being called to. I just didn't know what it was. And my only way of knowing it was experiencing the people around me and how they related to me. Cause I kept thinking, I can't, I don't, why are people always saying they want to like hang out with me and work with me and be with me when I'm just little old me. And by the way, I love that you're six feet tall because I'm five feet tall. I'm a tiny little thing. <laughs> I love it. I love and my ex-husband was six, four. So I picked Mr. Gigantic because I was looking to be protected. And so speaking of ex-husbands, we have this greatness, we have power, we have brilliance, and yet we still end up in relationships that don't serve us. What was the like your beliefs before you entered the relationship, what type of people were you dating and how did the husband become the one? 
And then what was that experience like? And then, because I'm grateful for all of it. I just married and I'm grateful for all of it. How did that play out? Yeah, this is an interesting story. So, you know, okay. So it turns out, go figure. I found out in a graduate course, Abuse in the Family System. Turns out that there is a real connection between people who went through childhood trauma to not only people who go through abusive relationships as an adult, but actually people who die because of abusive relationships. And so this hit me through the eyes when I was in a course once, and I had gone through three restraining orders. And I have been suffocated with a pillow. Somebody tried to break my spine, threatened to throw myself off the balcony because he was going to kill me anyways. And so time and time again, I wound up in these terrible relationships. Now, let me tell you, ladies, they always come in with the most romance. So when they swoop you off your feet with so much romance in the beginning, red flag. So, you know, through this experience, actually, and and this is the first time I'm really going to tell the story candidly, you know, through this experience, I became afraid. My sister and I joke that we got our mother's picker of men, our picker. And so I became afraid of my picker. And I believed that if I was interested in someone, like really into somebody, then they had to be terrible for me. So can you imagine the conflict in life that comes when you believe as soon as you like someone, they must be terrible for you. So you run away from them and you can't talk to them, like how your life then plays out in a hundred different ways and how hurtful that is and how isolating and alone you wind up feeling through this and how misunderstood, which again is the downfall when you quit being resilient. And so I ended up meeting my ex-husband when I was his boss and he got married the next month. So it was very platonic. There was nothing going on. And then he ended up getting divorced and he reached out to go to lunch. And my first line was, how's your, how's your wife going? How's your wife doing? I was not going to go to lunch with this man. And even though we remained friends on LinkedIn and such, you know, anyways. And so he's like, no, we got divorced. And so I thought for sure he was going to flirt with me. So we went to this sushi place. I always remember it. And it was so business. He was telling me about his business and he's going to business. You're doing then I talked about what I was doing. And then I left and it was just like totally platonic. And I remember walking out going, I totally misread that and laughing like how, how, how narcissistic I must be to think that he must want to flirt with me. Oh my gosh, Crystal, get over yourself. You know, like I remember that all the way to the car. Now, fast forward another several years, he wants me to work at his company and I just launched my company. I didn't want to, he talks me into it. He says, well, take no for an answer. I show up down there. I did the interview. I knock out of the park. I don't want the job. Okay. And then something blossoms out of that. Now at this point, he and I have always been good friends. We like the same music. We have the same stories. I trust him. I like him. I don't know if I was in love with him, but that's because my belief system was if I really liked him, then he had to be terrible for me. So therefore, if I don't really like them, they have to be really good for me is the opposite. And so I married him because he was safe and kind and loving and generous, protective thoughtful, considerate, warm. And, you know, after five years, we realized we're just friends, you know? And so we were able to still remain friends out of it, but that was my most successful relationship, sadly. 
And at the end of it, he said, look, you've had enough crazy. I'm not going to go crazy on you. I'm not going to stalk you or something. And I was like, well, I really appreciate that because I, I did kind of think that was the next thing that was going to happen. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that to you. And I was like, okay, great. Glad we got that out of the way. You know, and so we ended up having this really healthy divorce. I filed within a week of leaving that he signed that weekend. You know, it was like we didn't fight over. We actually got divorced and then willed each other everything. And he has, he does my end of life stuff and my living will and my health directive. And like, we willed each other everything. So when we die, we give each other, who does that? Who gets married and then divorced and then wills each other everything. So you can still have everything. It doesn't make any sense. Wow. That's quite the story. And it's, um, I love that I actually didn't know you before this interview. So it's not like this is all new to me and it's so fascinating. And what is your new dream vision for your relationship? You know, it's really, I, I went on a vacation in October and I think I still had the same belief system up till that point. And I was um, lonely, went alone, which is really, I upgraded the suite. So I had like, a, I had my own pool on the balcony, full like kitchen. Like I had a really nice, like huge hot tub in the room, like huge suite to myself in Cancun. And I was feeling real sad and lonely. And I realized that, no, I'm not going to sit here and cry and feel sad and lonely, that I enjoy my company. I'm going to have a darn good time. So every day I woke up and I did everything I described, right? I woke up, I did yoga, I journaled, I took a hot bath, and then I went and meditated, and then I doodled, and then I meditated again, and then I wrote my goals, and then I did a vision. And then I, and by this point, it's like two in the afternoon. And I'm like, okay, I should really go chase some sunsets and get some food and leave this room, you know? Anyways, through this experience of it, eight days, I realized one day when I was journaling about the sixth day that I'm catch. And I've never felt that way. And I realized that up until that point, I always believed that my childhood traumas and experiences made me less than, and I didn't feel worthy. And therefore I was attracting other people who didn't feel worthy, who admired my strength and determination and drive, but later have confessed that they ended up hating me for that exact thing and thus abused me and tried to tear me down every chance they got. So I saw it play out fully in my, in this moment of my journaling. And then I realized I've healed that wound. I no longer harbor unworthiness because of something that happened to me that I was born into. Instead, I see it as a strength that I came out of that and I'm stronger because of it, that I'm willing to talk about it openly and I'm going to become the greatest human I can in this life and impact millions. I'm going to write more books. I'm going to get on bigger stages. I'm going to tell lots of people and I'm going to have someone who doesn't just feel like okay with that, but somebody who's excited about the fame, somebody who's in my corner rooting me on, somebody who wants me to be successful and is all in and sees me as the amazing person I am. And I see them as the amazing person they are, that we have healthy boundaries and that we're able to express and get our needs met, that we're able to pour into each other. Somebody who wakes up with me to do their burpees, who wakes up and meditates with me, somebody who occasionally paint with me and draw with me and, and go on nature hikes and enjoy the things I enjoy, but also have their interests and hobbies so that we're able to have our own space. And independence. So my new belief system that kind of sums it all up is I'm a catch, you know, and I'm a, I'm good at cooking. 
I make a good income. I've got a nice car. You know, I'm loving, I'm thoughtful, I'm considerate. You know, I put more into a relationship than I take out. And I'm a darn good partner in this life. And if I was going to bet on a horse, I'd bet on me because I know I'm going to be successful. And so therefore, anybody who's going to be my partner is going to rise with me. And so with that, I sum it up to say, I'm a catch and I'm waiting until I'm cherished and adored for the catch that I am. And I will not settle and I have no unworthiness and I will not settle for anything less. Yes. I, I, we were talking about that, like singing off the rooftops of seeing each other, being with each other, celebrating each other, like each other's wins and word for word. I related to what you were saying about like some being tortured for having, having that energy. Like people would be attracted to my energy and then need to torture me for it. And I was like, what is happening here? Their unworthiness, it's insecurities on their part that then they play out and attack you to tear you down. Yeah. I mean, it was word for word. I know you're changing zillions of lives with that sentence because it was one of those huge moments for me when I started to hear my thoughts with someone else's words. Cause like everything you just said, I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I am so grateful. I did shift to, oh, I do not have to change an iota about me. I don't have to learn one more thing. I don't have to do anything different to be worthy and deserving of love. And by the way, if I was a man, I'd be all over dating you because I would do all of those things with a ton of excitement and love. So we get to attract exactly that. And it's just magical. It is. And, and you know what, that's why I'm so open. Well, one, I was told I can't die with my song on song, you know, about a trillion times, but you know, I, one of the reasons I'm so open is because again, if people can find themselves in someone else and then they remove that stigma that it's just them, that then, and only then can they become, begin that healing process. The second step of the healing process, if you're watching this and you're kind of going, oh my gosh, like this is an eye opening, or maybe I just realized that since I'm a product of trauma, that's why I'm having abusive relationships and I could actually die in these relationships. And that's actually normal, you know, and I got to break the cycle. What the heck am I supposed to do? My brain, I guess, is rewired and I got to use biohacks and fight for the Olympics. Like, you know, oh my gosh, like, where do I even get started? Again, do some push-ups. That's the first thing I'm going to recommend. The second thing I'm going to say to that is be able, you know, some someone, my counselor told me this. And she said, our mind is like a library. And what happens is when trauma happens, a book falls to the floor on a certain page of a certain chapter. And for the rest of our lives, we trip over that book and get triggered by that chapter of our life. And what happens as a product of trauma, someone who's been through multiple relationships, and come on, 99.9% of relationships fail. Let's be real. You know what I mean? Like, come on, even the successful ones had a hundred unsuccessful usually, right? right? So, you know, so what happens is we go through these relationships and we go through life and it humbles us and it kicks us in the teeth and we grow and we evolve and, you know, we get triggered on our library is just a wreck in our head. Most people. Okay. She said, And this will always change my life. She said, the way you get through it is you pick up the book that's triggered on that page and you look at that memory and you reflect, and this is the key, you reflect on how that memory 
has made you stronger today and how you are a better person, not just kind of better and like could be better. No, how you are better because of that and get that in your core. When you really honor that you are actually a better person because of that, you then close the book and put it back on the shelf. And so the journey of life for people who've had a messy life, self-induced or by who you're born into, is to go through and honor those memories and not just see them, but honor how you are a better person because of it and close that chapter and put that book back on the shelf. And so again, I'm going to encourage you to do push-ups. I'm going to encourage you to clean up your library. I'm going to encourage you to get a compelling vision of something you're working towards. Just start on the process of meditation, draw a photo, walk around the block, watch funny cat videos, journal it out, get clear on your goals. But the number one thing to just sum it all up, start a blessing jar of gratitude and start putting in there all the things that happen in your life that are incredible. And then even if I never read these again, my life is forever changed because my brain is now triggered. And this is one of the things I want to end on because this is real brain science. My brain now, when things happen that are grateful, I got someone just emailed me yesterday and said they read my book and it changed their life and all this. I instantly was like, oh, that's a good one. Got out my pen and paper and I started writing it down. I'm like, that's going in my jar. So now my brain is triggered to look for things that I'm grateful for. Now, this takes us back to caveman days when we would hear the rumbling in the bush or the, you know, is the food bad or we're going to die? We're always on hyper alert. So our brains are hyper wired since caveman days to look for what's wrong. And so again, I want to tell you, if you're out there burnt out, overwhelmed, irritated, brokenhearted, don't care, know that you are not alone and that your brain is actually wired to help you see what's wrong. And you have to use gratitude, intentional gratitude daily to shift your brain, to begin to see what's right. So you can then honor the part of you and clean up your library. So you can then take the time to create a compelling vision of who you want to be and the impact you make on this world. So then you can make the sacrifices of waking up 15 minutes early to do 100 burpees so that you can write your goals and invest in relationships and help close those cycles and believe you're a catch All of those things cannot happen until you begin to train your brain to see what's right in this world. So again, just know it's a biological problem that needs a biological solution. And the first breadcrumb to success, gratitude. The second piece is grit. And grit are the daily habits and biohacks that we talked about. This was magical, 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 because that is the key. You you nailed every single one. We have just maybe two minutes, but I really think this needs to be touched on too. I feel like most of us have our foot on the gas and on the brake. And we're like, I want the success, except our fears hold us back. So it's I like, got something for you. Get off. Yes. Okay. I got some. I know we got like 90 seconds. Okay. This happened just three days ago. I was in a meditation. I'm in, I bought this cute little town home here. And in my meditation, I'm turning 39 on Sunday. I saw my baby my, me as a baby. And then I welcomed my nine-year-old self into my house, literally knocked on the door. And in my meditation, I didn't prep this. I didn't try to think about it. This just happened. She knocked on the door and opened it with their awkward bangs and her gappy teeth and her pigeon toed and her, you know, I was just silly as it could be walked in and started looking around and was like, wow, mom's not coming after us. She's not going to beat us anymore. 
And I said, you're safe. You're safe. She's not going to get you anymore. And then guess what? My 19-year-old self knocked on that door and she came in here with her ghetto-ness and ghetto fabulous and pierced eyebrow. Oh my gosh. And jerseys and sneakers. And she said, we don't got to go to the laundromat anymore. You got a washer dryer in unit. And she started looking around. You got knickknacks. You got art on the wall. My 29-year-old self knocked on the door and walked in here and said, you don't got a man lording over you. You did this on your own. You bought this yourself. I said, this is out. It's going to make me cry. I said, this is ours. And in my meditation, I wept and healed those wounds. And I feel that all of my pistons are going in the same direction. The self-sabotage is over. Welcome your younger self into your current life. And I bet they would be proud of you. And that could be the first step to healing. Yeah, that is the first step to healing. It is literally taking all of our like sweetness. Mm-hmm. And and just holding it and giving it the privilege of feeling what it needs to feel and be seen and heard. And then everything else opens up to like, it's just magical. I, I literally feel like you just created magic here. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be here. You created the space. You sought me out. You attended the mastermind. You made this happen. I honor you and all of you, Louisa. I just am so cherished to be in your life and excited to see what other magic we can create. Absolutely. And I love that people get to look at us and and say, if they could do it, I could do it. And for parents like who your sister was given the hugs and kisses and you weren't, and there's no matter what we do, we're here with our own story. And I know I walked around with a lot of guilt of I should, I could, I blah, blah, blah. And we get to do the best we can, but Every human is put here with our own story that they get to be responsible for for unfolding. Mm -hmm. So good. So good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am honored being in your life and being on this journey with you. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. Let's do it again sometime. Yes, absolutely. 